It's the Paddle Podcast. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Paddle Podcast. I am your host, Eric Antonsen. Today's guest is Mexico's Fernando Stala. Before we hop into the show, a couple quick notes. On PaddleWoo.com, I have been doing the progression journal. That's what I'm calling it. It is a series of surf tutorials getting you to surf paddleboards better, uh, session notes, experiences. Folks are digging it. Tons of positive feedback, more from the progression journal than I get from the podcast, which I think is very interesting. So the theme of progressing, getting better, dropping board sizes really seems to resonate with the audience of the show and what we're doing at paddlewoo.com is helping folks get better at paddle surfing. So I think that if you're listening to this, you will appreciate that and you can check it out at paddlewoo, P-A-D-D-L-E-W-O-O.com. And if you are thinking about where you are going to travel to surf next, take a look at Blue Zone SUP. That is the camp that Oscar and I run here in Costa Rica. I think that you will have a blast. Check out paddlewoo.com. You can see how we approach teaching and training and then Blue Zone to see the accommodations. And I think that you will be very excited. All right, guys, without further ado, let's hop into the show today. Fernando Stala. Fernando Stala, thank you very much for being on the Padabu podcast. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Been hearing about your show for a while, and well, it's an honor to be part of it. Nice, man. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. To get us started today, for anyone out there who doesn't know who you are, and I assume that some folks probably don't, but you're a big name in Mexico, you're a big name in the race and surf scene, um, why don't you give some background on who you are, how you how you found yourself being a part of stand-up paddle surfing? All right. Well, um, let's see. Where should we start? Well... I have a pretty interesting childhood. I got to be thankful to my parents for that. Uh, I was born in Fiji Islands while they were in a sailboat going around the world. And then, well, I was just born there and kind of kept going. Then my mom was Brazilian, my father from Costa Rica. Uh, So I lived in, you know, until I was like, I think, four or five in Brazil. Then moved to Costa Rica until I was 11, so I went to primary school there, and then moved to Mexico with my mom, and been there since then, been in Sayulita, found this amazing place, now I'm, you know, Mexican national, uh, have Mexican nationality, I travel with a Mexican passport, and been able to, you know, kind of represent Mexico in all these events, and yeah. When did you start surfing? I started surfing when I was around eight. I mean, when I was eight, I got my first surfboard. So, so I gotta you, say, there so you started, started surfing in Costa Rica in in Tamarindo. Yes, it was. Let's see, it was Montezuma. It was actually where I started. Montezuma, yeah, I remember, and Puerto Viejo. Those are the two places we were switching. My parents were they were escaping from the rainy season. So you know how Costa Rica yeah. liked it. Six months is rainy season in the Caribbean, six months rainy season in the Pacific. Yep. So they will skip this, the rainy season and always be in on the summer and, well, I guess it will be the winter. I don't even know how they call it over there. I forgot. The, but the dry season. Yeah. They were always chasing the dry season and sun. So it was pretty good. Always had good weather. <laughs> and then were you a competitive uh, shortboarder? Uh, I did some competition shortboarding when I was in Mexico. I did some it was mostly, you know, local events or, this, you know, national events. Did a couple events in Europe, but it was mostly, you know, just for the fun of it. Never really pursued the, spon- like, professional side because it's just hard. It was really hard. I will see, you know, I mean, also Sayulita, it, it was very talented. It had a lot of talented surfers, and I, so it was hard to compete against them you know, in the local event. So that was, that kind of got me over. I was like, ah, it's too much work. You know, they're better than me. And it was hard to get, you know, there was no sponsors back then. So I was just do it for fun. 
And then whenever I would do events outside of Sayulita, I would do much better than in Sayulita for some reason. You know, the level was, was pretty high in this little village. The group of friends there, you know, like we have so many national champions and like, you know, a few really good surfers. Just the level of like, from Sayulita, we have really good shoreboard, like, you know, shoreboarders, longboarders, now paddleboarders. The talent is just so high that they, they were just better than me shoreboarding. You know, but, but it's, you know, it definitely push, I think it pushes everyone because, you know, my shoreboarding got good because I'm, you know, was past surfing with these guys and then, you know, there was just that drive of like being better and like pushing yourself that you will get in everything. You know, you see the junior guys, just the little kids are just so good because they see the rest of the guys, you know, and paddleboarding, we got really good because the same, we're pushing each other. And longboard, and there's great longboarders. So there is, you know, right. I think it's good. It's a good thing to have that talent and push each other. So I've started, I've started a blog on Padawu, and I do kind of journal my daily sessions. But it's been cool because I've been able to connect with the audience of the show in a different way, and so I get lots of emails and questions. And the folks who are following the blog, who follow the podcast, are in some point of their journey moving through progression in stand-up paddleboards. And something I think would be really fun to chat with you about, to talk to you about right now, is when you first started stand-up paddle surfing, how you progressed in performance. How, what was your first board? What were your goals on your first board? And then how did you migrate towards your next board and, and move down? Because you surf at the pinnacle of the support now, but you didn't start off surfing on the board that you're surfing now. So why don't you walk us through how you moved from beginning in stand-up and progressed. And we can talk about boards, we can talk about paddles, and uh, have a technical conversation of progression. I think that would be fun to do. All right. Okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, um, let's see. I started, pa well, Sayulita say, gets, gets pretty mellow wave. It's like a little Malibu style. We have a long ride. Then on small days, I mean, you can ride it even when it's one foot, but you need something big. Uh, but it's this perfect little wave to roll. So some days when it was small, uh, we were longboard. And then Ryan, friend of ours, he brought, he was the first one to bring a few paddle boards here. So it was fun. We started using those just to, you know, just to have fun when it was small. And then uh, those are like, I don't know, 11 footer, something like, you know, big beginner boards. And we'll mess around, play on it. Then it was the Punta Sayulita Classic, that event that we're doing here in, in Mexico. And they brought back then, like, the top of the sport that was a, a Chuck came. Who else came? Came a Ikaika, but from Kaika from Maui. Uh, so early on then, the you were exposed to some incredibly talented stand-up paddle surfers. And how did that change the way you thought about the sport when you saw them surfing? On that fair event, it was just, you know, to have like, you know, the world champions of the moment, the main guys in your hometown, you know, the, all the Hawaiian legends. It was an amazing thing, and you know, to be part of it, we signed up to events. We, you know, ended up borrowing boards. I borrow from a board from from a Kolu. It was a Kolu Kalama that came, and you know, borrow his board on the heats. Longest, you know, we were not surfing the same heat, just to be part of it. And I think back then, just having like a strong surfing background, it definitely gives you like a little bit advantage on the sport. You get a head start especially back then, where, you know, and, and I'm a big guy, so it kind of fitted me a little bit better, paddleboarding, I think, just because, you know, I have more power, I can use the paddle harder, I was, like, feeling comfortable on it. And, and it just motivates you, you know, to have those people come to your town and to be able to surf with them and talk to them, it motivates you. So, you know, that was, I think, the first, the first, you know, thing that got me into the sport, having those guys in town and, 
and being so cool and and sharing their aloha. What year was that? I would say it was like two thousand nine or something. Okay, something like that. And so you started off riding the eleven foot boards on the smaller days. And then you saw the pros come through town and you got to borrow some boards and get to spend time with them, which I think is really important. If you look at any, one of the things that you emailed me about Sayulita was the fact that the majority of the talent from Mexico is coming out of Sayulita. But that could probably be immediately traced back to the fact that those contests happened in Sayulita. And so you created this little hotbed for, for that growth. Um, now, after that contest came through, how did your how did you change the way you were training or approaching paddle surfing after you saw Chuck and the Hawaiians surf in in Sayulita? Uh, well, let's see. So, I think it was so after that I placed. I think I was fourth in the surf contest. So I made it to the finals on surfing, and then I got fourth in the race. Uh, there weren't that many people are gonna say that were good. It was like you know Chuck, a few you know the, the name, the top, the guys that were known, the ones that they flew down, they got the first spot, and then I was there, uh, kind of ahead of all the you know local crowd, and and then uh, you know a, a brand back on the day was like, hey, well if you come to California, you know, uh, you can stay with us. I can get you the visa and do a few events up here. And I was like, wow, that sounds awesome. So after that, I was like very motivated. I was like, you know, I might be good at this. You know, I have fun doing it. So I might as well put a little bit more effort. I always loved traveling. You know, since I was young, I always travel, always, you know, worked hard, save money, and then go on surf trips. So it was like perfect, you know, excuse to travel. Uh, so I put a little bit more work into it. I started paddling a little bit more. Now when I go back to it, I laugh just to just remember what I was doing for training. I was probably paddling like 15 minutes, you know. I was just doing like probably 2Ks on a 12-foot just regular board. And it'd be like, oh, all right, I got some training in. You know, compared to what we do now, it's, it's funny. And, you know, and it was enough to kind of like, stay well I was still learning about everything about the stroke techniques about actually we didn't even have any stroke techniques it was just paddles just you know have power and and then well make it to California I made it to California I saw how big was there how many people were it, it was a big scene and it was just you know a cool thing to be part of like you know the people were all really nice uh, I saw a potential. I liked it. I mean, first thing, I just like that energy and I wanted to be around it. I'd like to know, because so many people are interested in it, I'd like to know about how you approached moving down in volume and getting on more performance-oriented boards. Uh, well, we started seeing, I guess, you start seeing the other guys, what they're writing. And back on the day, you know, a small board was probably like a nine-foot it was a small board, uh, you know, pointy nose. And I remember my the first board I bought, I went to, it was a Battle Hawaii. I got it in Santa Barbara from Blue Line. And they took a couple boards out, let me try them. I tried, I think it was the nine-footer. And then tried the eight-footer, and I couldn't stand. I was like kind of all over the place, fell a few times, and I was like, nah, I, you know, I can't, I don't want to be struggling, so I bought the, the nine-foot board, and I remember like two weeks later, a week later, I was like, well, I was feeling comfortable, you know, I was doing fine, and then, and then someone brought a board, brought the same board, but as an eight-foot, there was the same board I tried, and I couldn't do it. And they had it in Sayulita like a week or two weeks after. And I got on it and I was stable. I was like, whoa, you know, I should have bought this. and should just deal with it for a week until I got the hang of it. And well, but I already had my nine foot and I stayed with it for a while until 
until I was able to, you know, afford another board, shorter one. But that's something that I always tell people is like, you know, as soon as you get on a board, it's going to feel uncomfortable. Give it, you know, give it a few sessions until you get better, at, like just more comfortable at it. Because my experience, I regretted buying the nine-foot board instead of the eight one, for example, just because I realized that a week later I was able to do it, but not the first day I tried it. So, you know, I don't know what and to recommend people, but that was my experience. Now, in that time frame, so we're looking at 2010, 2011, who were you modeling? What surfers were you looking at uh, the way that they surfed to learn the, the techniques in paddle surfing? Because even still, like even right now, we're in, you know, what is this, May 2016, the sport is not defined. And I talk about this, I blog about this a little bit, but we still don't even have names for maneuvers. It's very difficult to talk about a sport when you don't have a lexicon for how it, how it, for the function of it. Now, in 2011, we're talking five years ago, which is ages, light years in our sport. Who were you looking up to, and how were you kind of breaking down technique and learning the sport? How were you learning technique in paddle surfing? Let's see on paddle surfing. So. The first, so the first concert they did in Sayulit, actually, the two first ones, it was Ikaika Kalama from Hawaii. He had a longboard style paddleboard. He will surf it really good. He will hit vertical. He would do nose rides, helicopters. And so that's the first kind of high performance surf, paddleboard surfing we've seen. It was the longboard style. And it was fun. You know, it was really fun. So, we, you know, we kind of did a few of those tricks. We did a lot of, like, hang fives and, like, spin the tail around, like, a longboard. Uh, and then, but right away, we started realizing that, you know, those power turns, you had so much power by using your paddle. You can do those big turns. And so we had, we had some of the Hawaiian influence. Then we saw Kai Lenny, you know, I think it was also the beginning of the world tour. I think it was the first event that he won on the world tour. We were looking at him and going like, ah, we see what he's surfing. We see his style. It's like, you know, coming from surf, from shoreboard surfing, it's like, well, we can do that on shoreboard, so let's try it on the paddleboard. And, and we went from there. So I guess it was like, you know, a lot of Hawaiian influence on that, on the, especially on the high-performance surfing. Did you do anything specific to learn the paddle surfing, or did you just go out and explore and just figure it out? Um, we, we were just having fun. I think that was the base, the, the first thing we did. It was just enjoying. We had a lot of fun doing it. it you know, the wave that we have right here is a, you know, it's a perfect wave for paddling. So... We ha and then we also had the, the competitor mentality. We had a, a handful of guys, or at least four guys, that were doing paddleboarding in town. And we were looking at little videos, and we would go in the water and like see each other, and like you know, you know. And all of them were great surfers, shoreboarders. So they will already know what they had to do on the waves. And we were just trying to copy, try to get as close as our shoreboarding with the paddleboards, and. And just, I think that the pushing each other helped us a lot. Now, are both the Felipe's from Sayulita? Yes, they are. Okay, so you guys have a, an incredible little group of talent coming out of Sayulita. Now, how, how does the lineup, uh, the greater lineup, the surfing lineup, look at paddle surfing when you have Fernando Stala and both Felipe's in the same place? It's going to be hard to have an issue with that, I would assume, right? Yeah, yeah, like that's one of the things. Paddleboarding is not looked bad in Sayulita in this area because, you know, you have the, the top guys already were like, you know, national champions and the top surfers of Mexico, they're already, they were, you know, they're paddling. So no matter on what board they are, they were already the guys taking all the waves and kind of like, you know, leading the, the, you know, the surfing pack. 
So, you know, I, I don't see it. You definitely don't see it. You know, the lo- between the locals, they all do it. You know, it's not like, it's not like some other towns where you go and you see like, oh, well, I don't do paddle boarding, you know, because that's for cooks or whatever. Here, everyone does it, you know. They might not do it professionally, but they will do it recreationally, you know. The pro, the top, the, you know, the top shoreboarders, the ones that are pro at shoreboarding and that's what they do for a living, they will still jump on a board and go fishing with on it. They will go training. They will, you know, they will catch a few waves when the waves are small. They will sort of tandem with a girlfriend, you know, like, it's just part of it. And so there was, you know, I'm sure that tourists or people that are, you know, not the locals are going like, oh, they're catching so many waves. <laughs> but but doesn't matter in what board we are, you know, those that, you know, you know how it is. That handful of guys are going to be catching every set wave, no matter what equipment they are. Yeah. Now, I think that when lineups have a problem with paddle surfing, it's when the natural order, the order that people, that surfers have spent a lifetime working to become a part of, is upset when someone who doesn't know what they're doing paddles right out and takes that wave. Because then that upsets everyone. But if you already have that wave because you've earned your place in the lineup, it's really nothing anyone can get mad at. It's just when someone new comes into the sport and they don't know that that's not their place to take that wave. Correct, correct. And that's the thing that, you know, paddleboarding, I think, does. You know, it breaks down a little bit the... Hierarchy. You know, the the hierarchy of of surfing where, like, you know, normally the guy that catches more wave, it's because he can read the ocean better, because he can paddle faster, and he earned those things by spending so many hours on the ocean. He has invested so much time in in getting better at reading the waves at paddling hard at you know being on the right spot that he you know more you know more you invest in something more you should get back out of it you know that's i think just standard thing and then and then you know someone can come with a big equipment that is haven't invested that much time in, in surfing or in the ocean and it it will hop right over the, the guy that puts so many hours in the water. And then is when things can get a little bit, you know, stressful. Yeah. And I, and I can see that one both ways, you know. I mean, as someone who grew up surfing, uh, I definitely understand the pecking order in a lineup. Um, all right. So, Fernando, yeah. let's uh, – we've talked a little bit about how you got into stand-up and your path – we're, right now, we're at you're surfing a nine foot board. You you hopped on the eight foot board. You realized that you could have dropped down with a couple weeks of practice. How did you continue to progress down towards what are you riding right now? Tell me what you're riding right now, and then let's talk about the tra- trajectory of how you got there. A seven seven. A seven seven. How many liters? How big are you? Yeah, I'm riding a seven seven. It's eighty liters. Okay. Seven seven. And how many kilograms are you? How much do you weigh? I'm 82 right now. Okay. Yeah. We ride basic. We're about the same size. We ride the same boards pretty much. I ride like a 7.4, but it's the same liters. Yeah. Weigh the same thing. Uh, Yeah, I figure you can go up to like under 5 liters of your weight. Yep. That's as much as I have gone. And and it's fine because you sink it. But as soon as you sink, you know, to your chins, those are the 5 kilos that's they're now floating and then you stay there but you know it definitely takes work you got to be you know balanced and your core muscles are always tensing do you feel that you surf a board that's five liters smaller than you much better than you surf a board that's equal because i it was very difficult for me when i did the same thing to really notice that much of a difference in surfing and so i kind of realized it's not worth the uh, the loss of waves because I definitely wasn't catching as many waves when I dropped down below my weight. Correct. So I noticed the same thing. As soon as you start sinking too much, you start struggling on staying still on the lineup. 
you have to sit down if you're not moving. It, like, you know, you ha you know, sometimes you just fall because you lose your balance and you're sinking and up, oh, you miss the wave. Um, and no, and the performance doesn't change. I think it's what it changes the shape of the board. The board can have, you know, a little bit more volume, but it's how you distribute it. How, what the, how the shape is doing. Where, you know, like if you have a long board, like, you know, if you're doing radical turns, sometimes, you know, if it's a little, little too long, your board, like it hits the note, like it hits the, the nose hits the water, like the bottom of the wave, and sometimes you nose dive. So that was one of the things I was noticing with a bigger board, that I was nose diving a lot when you're doing that vertical hit, you're like releasing the tail, then the point of the board, it's like touching the bottom of the wave, like, you know, it's like kind of wants to dive in. So yeah. those are things like we're making it smaller. It helps, you know, it helps on that, like doing those sharp turns, those fast turns and not nose diving where you gives you the time to like step on the tail and clear the nose. That way you can prepare for the next bottom turn and the next, you know, hit. So, you know, if you, you do want a shorter board, like I do like to have a shorter board to, for those reasons. So my maneuvers are better or cleaner. You know, I can fit better on the pocket. And you have to take volume off if you want to have a smaller board. But because, you know, I personally don't like riding like big, chunky, you know, too thick of boards. But I realized that, you know, for my height, and I'm 6'2", you know, the 7'7", seven, seven is fine on length. And, and then the volume is good. You know, I feel comfortable. I could go. I could go smaller, but you know, there's no need to stress. It's definitely gonna be, you know, a little bit more stressful in the water, or like you just gotta be working a little bit harder. Yeah, but it, you know what? But it might be just like my first time, where I'm like, oh, I don't want to go smaller because I can't do it. But I'm sure if I choose half a board like that, it gives me a week. You know, after a week of going every day, you'll get a hang of it and be like, ah, this is not so bad. You know, like Mo, with what he's doing, he's just, when he's waiting, his this water is almost to his waist. Yep, Mo, on the Grant, a lot of those guys. And, you but, know, but then other guys like Kai Lenny have tried that, and he talked about it on the show and said that he's settled on equal weight to to volume. And so is Sean Pointer and Zane, all those guys are equal. So I don't know if there's that much of a, a performance gain in going negative. I do like though that both Kai and Mo and some of the new shapes are going narrower and fatter in the middle to keep the volume and pinching the rails a little bit more. I've seen Mo's boards. I got to check those out. And then Kai was saying the same thing. Um, my next shape, I want to really squeeze it in maybe 23 and a half 24 but still get that same volume through thickness in the middle and see how that paddles have you have you experimented with that yet yes and and it's good i think the the main problem that we had i think it was the fact that people were just blowing up shoreboards mm -hmm. they were just this is a good shoreboard let's just blow it up yeah and and it's just changed a lot of this how it served because you have now like too thick of tails, yep. too thick of like everything. It was too wide, and and then when you're leaning from one toe, like I think, you know, when you're switching from you know your toe side to your you know one rail to the another, it's your foot the one is that your toes put in the pressure, and then it's your heel put in the pressure, and in your foot it's only so so big. And when you have a big tail or a wide board. You have to actually move your foot to one edge so you can dig it and then like move it to the other edge so you can, you know, do the cutback or do your turn. So, you know, that's what I realized that surfing on a paddleboard is the key of like being able to do sharp turns. You got to always be moving. So working on making the board, you know, thinner, you don't have to be moving your foot that much. You can just keep it there like on a shortboard, you just there. And with your foot planted, you know, on the deck pad, you can kind of cover with your toes the edge, your toe edge, and with your heel, you know, the heel side, the two rails. And that's definitely what's, you know, 
I'm liking a little bit more now where you can respond faster in your turns. You can switch from one rail to the other faster than you know the other boards. I don't know if you have feel felt that when you're surfing. Oh, for sure. Well, how, how wide is your 7.7 that you're riding right now? And who do you ride for? What board are you riding? I'm riding for Rogue. Okay. So well, I'm having a Rogue custom board. He is a... It's 26 wide mm -hmm. so it's a it's a little wide on the on the middle and keeping a little bit of volume through closer to the nose so, so I don't have a really pin nose I'm keeping some volume there for the floatability and then trying to like you know take some volume off and thickness on the tail like the tail is a little bit thinner and sharper rails that way you can like you know dig it into the water and you are not skipping along when you're doing a strong bottom turn. Yeah, right now. I'm trying, so yeah, I'm trying to have like a shoreboard tail kind of as close as possible. Yeah, that's very similar to the boards that I ride to. Right now, I'm actually, for all you guys who haven't been following, I am blogging daily surf sessions on paddlewoo.com and I'm doing a couple different um, series. One of them is called The Race to the Bottom. It's about how to paddle smaller boards. The other one is right now uh, FCS Fin Test. And Tyler Calloway was kind enough, uh, the president of FCS, to send me some fins, fins that he picked out for me to ride after I talked to him about how this one board is, is surfing. And they're not necessarily fins that I would have purchased. Uh, and right now, I was very surprised that the set that I'm testing uh, the last couple days is a quad set on the starboard 7425.5 that's the Sean Pointer model of starboard um, and the the fins that I'm testing are the performer XL front fins and small real rear quad and so I wouldn't have thought about putting those together but I've been very impressed with how it's holding turns but then still releasing at the end of them um, so that was a little plug there you guys should check out the journal and look at those fin tests, but that leads into the question for you, Fernando. What fin setups do you like? What have you played around with um, and that in your Rogue? Uh, I, I like quads. I've been riding quads for a while now. What set do you and use? always a game. It's always... Uh, I'm actually mix different different sets like I I'm writing for your future fins so I've been you know uh, lucky enough to be able to get a different different quad sets or mixing trusters with uh, with quads and I've been using I've been using like you know not too big the large for sure board like the large fins and then putting I like the rope manchado quad but changing the front one, like I, I use the quad, uh, the quad, uh, Rob Machado quads on okay. the back, the small fins. Now, is that the same Rob Machado set that's the bamboo? Um, yes. Well, those are my favorite fins, but I've never seen the quad set of them. Yeah, so he has a quad setup that I use, and I put the two small ones back, and I nice. found that size is what is... is I'm liking the best. And then on the front, I'm, I'm always playing. You know, I'm always playing, but I realized that, you know, that's what I like. I like those ones on the back and then a little bit bigger than what he has on the front. So his, his full quad is, you know, I think the front fins are a little too small for my, for, for my paddleboard at least. And so I'm using a little bit bigger fins. Which, do you remember which fins they are? On the front side. Uh, well, I'm always right now. I think I have the the large Jordies. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've tried those. Those are good fins. And yeah, and I like it. I like it. And it's just you know I have an, a, an idea of what I like, and then I just play whenever there is a new model that comes out. I try it. Uh, when the waves change, I you know I try to to see. You know, sometimes I go truster and see how it, it responds. So right now, that's a cool thing about this sport. We're still in developing phase, you know. We're still like, you know, learning things and investigating and seeing what's the best thing. So I think it's 
it's a fun it's a fun moment to be in this sport. Oh, it's way more fun than being a shortboarder right now because of all of the evolution that's happening. Uh, and you can be a part of that evolution too, which I think is, I don't know, it's really, it fires me up from time to time to think that um, you can have a hand in, in helping grow something that you're really passionate about, which I think is, is great. And that's something that you've been doing in Mexico is helping to grow the sport. Why don't you talk a little bit about kids coming up in Mexico and what avenues there are for the youth there to get involved in stand-up paddle surfing? I know you're passionate about that. Yeah, you know, because one thing is that, you know, I got to the top or, you know, to the top of sport just working hard. Like, you know, like I, I worked hard first just to get some money. So I was able to travel. It, you know, I didn't have support from anyone to start off. And seeing that, you know, I could make it with, you know, just with a will behind and work hard to accomplish, you know, put, put time into it and making it, it lets me see that other people can do it, you know. And, and I see here that, you know, there are not that many opportunities. You know, you see some people saying, well, you know, I come from a poor family. I don't have money. I, I can't, you know, I can't do it. So they should give up without trying. And that's what you see in everything and everything in life. People should give up like, oh, but they had a, you know, they had help. They had a family to help them or something. You know, that's what they were able to do the tour. That was their role to get sponsors or whatever. Uh, and I, you know, I just want to make sure that everyone knows that you can do it. You know, no matter, it's just how bad you want it. And you got to put work into it. And here, that's how, you know, that's how it happened. You know, you start putting your time into it. You start putting effort. And then people are going to realize, especially on paddleboarding, it's such a, you know, close community. There's so much, I think, aloha in this sport that if you see someone putting, you know, a lot of effort and a lot of will, and I'm sure you're the same way than me. If you see a kid, you know, in Costa Rica, like, just working hard and training hard on the paddleboard, like, you know, going every day and starting to rip, you're going to be like, you know what? I'm going to give you a hand. Let me see who I can help you with. Let me see if I can get you a sponsor. Let me see if I can get you a board or a fin or something. Uh, and and that's something really cool, I think, that this, this sport has and this community has. Where did you learn? And how is... Where did you learn that? Where did I learn grit? Where did you learn that grit? That that ability to really stick to something and work that hard. Were there some people in your life that taught you that skill, or was that innate in you? I think it's just the hunger of more, you know, and the competitiveness. I think it's a mix that you know. I wanted to have a little bit more. Like first of all, I. When I discovered, you know, paddleboarding, I liked it and I wanted more of all of it. Uh, then in surfing, I, I loved it, I liked it, but I wasn't that hungry for it. Uh, on paddleboarding, I was just, I think, in love with it. I was like enjoying it so much that I was like, I want more of it and more of it on the competitive side, more of it in the, you know, skill side, in the trips, in meeting more people in that industry. And, and then seeing, I think one of the main thing is having people believing you, you know, having someone say, you know what, I believe in you, I'm going to, you know, support you. And, and that's a great feel. Like I just can't let them down. You know, when someone says that to you, you can't let them down. You know, if they say, I'm going to give you a hand, go get them. You do everything you got to do your best. Because if not, it's, you know, you know, like when my first sponsors reached out to me, I was so thankful and I was so glad that they reached out that I did, you know, everything I could to, to do my best, you know, and to perform the best, just to not let them down. And, 
and I don't know if that comes from, you know, traveling so much around the world as a young age with my mom and and knowing that you can't rely on just going back home and having, you know, a life set. Be like, oh, if I fail at this, I can always go home and have them, you know, have my family back me up. My parents died when I was young, so, you know, I didn't have anything to go back to. So whenever I had to, you know, I had to get something from myself. So it's not giving, giving out, I guess. Um, who were your role models growing up? Well, I have to say my mom, you know, she was, she, I lived with her. They split up when, when I was young, when I was a kid. And I was, you know, travel with my mom. We did, you know, I lived in Costa Rica with her. We would visit my father every now and then. Uh, and then moved to Costa, moved to Mexico, but I was like, you know, we went, you know, just just, you know, backpacking kind of all the way to Costa Rica. And it was like such a toughness that, you know, to see someone like that, it kind of gave me, you know, that, that trust that you can't, you know, back out. If you want it, just go for it. And, you know, and I still look up to her. And see that, you know, I'm glad that I had such a strong influence when I was young. You seem like such a positive person. Um, is that a, have you always been that positive? Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to say that, you know, yeah, I am positive. I'm also very mellow. Like, I try not to, like, you know, it's really hard to get me pissed off. Uh, I, you know, I do try to do my best for myself and also for others. Like, you know, like, now training, you know, being part of the national team, I always try, you know, to do what I can to, to kind of help out the other guys that are coming, like, you know, open a path to the new generations on the sport since you know, already kind of made it and I have all the connections. I know that the industry, it's, it's easier for me to kind of like let them know, you know, the path and have them, you know, accomplish, you know, the, their dreams, I guess, and the sport by themselves. So it's a cool thing, you know, it's a cool thing. Yeah. And so Sayulita hosted the World Games uh, a few years ago. How incredible was that to have all the best in the world? Year. It was last year. Okay, so how incredible was that to have everybody come through your hometown and to be host to the World Games? It was amazing. You know, so far, the the ISA event in Sayulita has been the best one so far. Just because Sayulita it's like a stadium, a surface stadium. You have the town right in front of the wave. You have all the houses right behind. And you had all the teams just stand, you know, everyone's walking distant from each other. You don't need cars. It was just walk down the street, see all the teams. And it was just beautiful. Like all the colors, all the, you know, have all the nations come in and be in that in the town all together because on the other events that we've been it's like more spread apart so you don't see the other teams as often and in Sayulita you will see them all the time like you will just be part of it and and it was a great feeling you know like have someone so close together hanging out together uh, sharing that aloha that this sport has it's not like other sports where you have you know like oh there's a you know American team, fuck them or whatever, you know, there is like, hey, you know, we're, we're good friends with everyone. There's, and it, it was great. It was great. And then the competition was, was awesome. The talent was really good. There was so many talented guys that came representing their countries and to be able to, you know, kind of 
show them our home and, and share the aloha that we have to them and have them, you know, be able to compete against them in our town. It was a good experience. It was cool. Not just for us, the competitors, but I think for, for everyone else, you know, for the town, for the kids, for, you know, the sport in general in Mexico. I think it was a good thing. Well, yeah, I mean, if you look back to kind of the spark that got you very excited about stand-up paddle surfing with the first event and then think about how much larger the world, the ISA World Championships were, I'm sure that that event had an influence on the community and Groms in your area that's going to spark even more passion over the next generation. For sure. For sure. It's a beautiful thing. Um, all right, let's talk then, about, oh, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> we've got a delay here. No, so no. if you guys are listening and it sounds like we're talking over each other, no, we're being polite. It's just, we've got like a two second delay because I live 12 minutes down a dirt road and Fernando's in Sayulito, Sayulita. So we've got a bit of, uh, internet issues here. So we are being nice to each other. Um, Let's jump into something that both you and I do, which I think is one of my favorite ways to enjoy a stand-up, but I really never talk about it, and that is I've got a 10-and-a-half-foot Hobie blow-up stand-up board. I live a four-minute walk to a bay right behind my house, and on clear days with no surf, you'll find me paddling out the back with my spear gear, going to hunt for dinner for my family, and I believe you share that passion too, don't you? Yeah, it's an amazing thing, you know, that to be able to do that, I think. I mean, spearfishing is a great, it's a great sport. I think it's, it goes to the hand, goes by the hand with, with what we're doing, especially with like, you know, big wave surfing and, and training and racing and all those things. And, and being able to supply, you know, food for your family, it's a great feeling. You know, it's a great feeling to... To be able to do that and also, you know, have fun doing it, uh, train, you know, because you're working on your, you're holding your breath, your apnea, your patience. It's like meditating. So I definitely recommend more people to try it. Well, there's something that I love about spearfishing off of a stand-up and, and that's the freedom of it. Now, I will go by myself, but if I'm going by myself, I never go out too far. I never go deep because I do believe in if you're going to go into any kind of sketchy situation. If I wouldn't surf um, an area by myself, then I wouldn't I wouldn't spearfish it by myself. That's kind of the way that I roll. But uh, but I love that freedom of being able to go out and just do it by yourself. I mean, I love going spearfishing off of boats, but I've really, in the last year, enjoyed those solo trips, you know much more than, than having the group and uh, the ordeal of the boat and everything. Yes, it's definitely the freedom of like just walking down and jumping on your board, paddling. You know, I do, if it's a 15-minute paddle, the one I do, to get to my, to my fishing spot that is right at the point and, and jump in, have to, you know, I attach, I don't know what you do to, you anchor your board yeah, I usually anchor. I bring out a small anchor and I'll anchor my board right on the inside of the reef that I surf. And it's about a 15-minute paddle to get out to it as well. It's, it's probably a very similar setup. It's at the tip of the bay, one of the corners of the bay. Yeah, I'm being paddling. I'm also taking an inflator. I realize that's the best board to take out. For sure. When for spearfishing. It's just because it doesn't get affected by the sun. You know, it's just, I like it. And it's a 12.6, it's a 12, yeah, it's a 12.6, so it's kind of like a race inflatable. And what I do is I use my board as my buoy system. So, because here, you never know what you're going to find. Like, we find, we get big fishes. So we have to have a buoy system for safety. Okay. In case we should, you know, a big red snapper, a grouper, or anything, you know, a big jack, gallos. Uh, you know, there's big fishes here, and you don't want to lose your equipment. You don't want to get dragged around. So, so we you always tie your our, float line, you know, to the flotation line to the board. Okay, gotcha. To my to my board, uh, I used to I you know I used to just take my 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 buoy, 
but now I just attach it to the nose though. For a long time, we were attaching it to the leash plug, to the mm-hmm. tail, and it would generate drag because that fin, it will like make the board move a little bit weird, not track that well. And now I, I glue something to the nose of the board where I can attach the, the line to the nose of the board. And that thing just cruise behind me like a, you know, like a diving buoy. They're zero resistant. And since they're inflatables, they're light. And I mean, also the shape, they might, you know, it's a race board shape. So I have zero resistance. Like I can't tell I have a board following me. I don't have to do any effort to pull. So that be, that's great, you know, because I used to anchor it too. And you always have to go back to your, you know, to your board, your board that is anchored to leave the fish. Yep. And having this new way, I mean, you know, I'm really happy with it. Your idea works, Fernando, until you shoot something massive and then the fish takes your board and your gear and everything out to sea and you're stuck out there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but, uh, <laughs> you know, what you do is like well, when you, we shoot, you shoot and you, tr- you always try to reach. You go for the line first yeah. thing. You, know, you go back to the board. <laughs> You go for the floating line with your hand or you're still underwater, like as soon as you shoot. Because if you can, you want to avoid the special red snappers to go and, and hide in a cave. Right. So you want to hold it. Yep. And, and you're swimming up at the same time while you're holding the line. If you're able to hold the line in one spot and swim with the fish up, then go for it. If he's pulling hard, then you're letting go the line slowly while you're going up. It, but you're making the fish, you know, fight for every, you know, meter that he gains swimming towards that cave. He's going for that cave and you're going to the surface. So if he's much stronger, then you're going to start letting him go, letting the rope go slowly. But you're still holding that rope to make his, you know, his uh, advance slower. And then when you, as soon as you hit the surface, you're still holding to the line. And and then you will be holding to the board. So I've been in situations where I, especially more in open water, I remember with a with a rooster, with a big rooster, it, you know, you get to the surface, and I got to the surface. I remember actually I let go of the line, and I should see my board should fly by me, and I just like hop on it, you know, and just got a ride, you know, and waited there until he got tired. So, yeah, definitely don't let go everything and just hope for the fish to, like, you know, stay nearby. <laughs> you got to always keep a grip of your equipment. I can just picture a board just sitting in the water just watching your board swim out to sea. <laughs> um, yeah, no. Uh-huh. So there's some pretty good spear fishing in Fiji. Are you going to be making a trip out there this year? In Fiji, well... The, the ISA, exactly. the World Championships of ISA going to be in Fiji. I was not thinking of bringing my fishing equipment, actually. I was making sure to bring my surf equipment after seeing the waves that were just there. You know, spearfishing wasn't in my mind. I was only surfing. Right. <laughs> you know, I don't know if you got to see the swell. Oh, it's beautiful. But there was some amazing waves. It's huge, too, so... Yeah, actually, spearfishing in, in Fiji never crossed my mind. I was just thinking of surfing. Are you going to be uh, Are you going to be representing Mexico in Fiji, though? Yes. Awesome. Yes, I am. So it's going to be a going to be a fun thing. Nice. Yeah, we just had the nationals. Uh, what was it? A month ago, something like that. So now we have our team selected. And and now we're just working on getting funds. You know, it's 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 hard to go. I mean, that's, hard a, that's to an expensive team to. And yeah, especially to Fiji. So we're working on it. We have a little fundraising thing going on that people can go in and like you know donate a little bit. So you know, if anyone's listening and wants to pitch in to help the the Mexican team make it to 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 ISA in Fiji, then feel free. Send me Selección that link. Mexicana. Send me that link and I'll put it in, the, right. in the article for the show. Perfect. I will. And, and yeah, so I qualified on racing. I won the, well, the long distance, the technical race. 
and got second on the surfing. So I guess I qualified for racing and surfing. Nice. But but we see we see how it goes. It's you know it's a lot of work to do everything. And and we have a lot of good talent in surfing. So we're still debating. I'm still thinking if I should do it everything or should I leave someone else to the surfing? Right. Since we do have great surfers, you know they're also part of the national team. Or or I should, you know, do everything. But I want to surf Fiji. That's the main thing. The waves look so good. Do you know where they're holding the event yet? Is it going to be uh, a cloud break? Uh, that's a rumor. You know, that's a rumor that they're going to be in cloud break. And they should. You know, if they're going to do an event in Fiji, uh, with all the hype of it, they should do it in, in cloud break. Yep. yep. You know, but the other thing is, like, if you realize, you know, I'm going to say half of the surfers that normally participate in the ISA events will be able to surf cloud break, you know, with a decent side. The, you know, a lot of people are, you know, more used to softer waves, paddleboard style waves that, you know, they might have a hard time <laughs> surfing, you know, cloud break, even if it's like, you know, I guess pass head high. That wave gets sketchy. So we see how that a, goes. I spent a couple of weeks out there, and it was before I was uh, paddle surfing. But once it would get, you know, if, it, if your 10-foot face is out of cloud break, that, there's some pretty tricky situations. And also, the, the lack of ability to be able to duck dive is going to make it really yeah. troublesome if you get stuck on the inside with the set coming through. Um, so it'll be interesting. It'll be a fun event to watch for sure. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't, you know, got the chance to surf cloud break yet, but I did surf Chopu on a paddleboard, and and it's definitely intimidating, you know. Oh. And you know, they're not the same wave, but they're similar. They have power. They're reef wave, and and it's intimidating when you're out there and you have that thing just hollow, suckle the water under you, and you can see the reef, and. And just start getting dark inside that barrel is, you know, it's an intimidating thing. It's definitely but a favor of goofy experience. footers too. Yeah, you know, it will. But, you know, barrel riding, I don't think it's a big issue if you're, you know, regular or goofy. Let's talk, about, let's talk like about this. Reading. I, I want to talk about this because you are the first person on the show and I've talked to everybody. And you are the first person on the show who has not said that it's way easier to surf barrels front side versus backside. Everybody says it's way easier front side, and that backside tube riding is one of the hardest things to do in a stand-up paddle surfing. So please explain that comment. I want to understand your technique. Now, the thing is paddleboarding. When you're in front side, it's just really natural. You have the paddle in front of you, touching the water. You're digging in your toes, eh, and you you're seeing the wave. It's just very comfortable. It's a very comfortable feeling, you know. On backside, it starts to get a little bit trickier in the fact that, you know, like maybe turning that board, positioning your body. But at the level that we're in, I think at the level that, you know, like you've seen Kai surf, like, you know, in, in Tahiti backside, you know, he, it's, you know, he gets it right away. Like you see all those guys and, and soon as you, you know how to, how your board reacts, you, let's see. So let me explain. The thing is like, I have surfed a lot in, you know, a lot of barrels shoreboarding. And a lot, a lot of backside shoreboarding. So I was like never intimidated of like surfing backside. Now paddleboarding, I have, I don't put that much effort in surfing lefts. But you know, when I surfed chop, it wasn't like, oh, you know, like a left barrel. Like it seemed pretty. You know, you, we dropped in. So let me explain how it was it. You, you paddle hard. A, you know, you get in. I will do. I will grab rail, and. And that was it. And you're in it. You're holding, like, you know, like, I. it didn't seem extra hard. 
how do you maintain your you know, paddle in the barrel? What, what, what are you doing? What technique are you using with your paddle there? Because sometimes you trip over it. You've got like Justin Holland is sometimes holding out in front of him. Um, Kiahi will was, put it down by I his rail. I was grabbing the paddle. I was keeping the paddle on the surf side, so touching the wave, it, grabbing around the middle of the paddle. I will, you know, with that front hand, I will grab the rail of the front side. And, and then you lean. Yes, your hand now is not free to put it in the wave to slow you down or to make you be, you know, very close to that wave. So you have to use maybe more your butt. You can, like, touch the wave with your butt if, if you want to slow down. Now, that was not the issue when it happened to me. You want to go. It, so it was... So the hand is, your, your paddle sliding, it's touching the wave, but it's not really, you know, causing resistance. It's not, you're not breaking. And I guess the main thing you got to worry about is not having that handle go into the wave because then it will just take it off your hand. Now, that didn't happen to me, but it has happened to other friends, you know. The, you know, you get distracted, you get your hand gets too close to the water, the handle gets caught, gets caught and boop, you got to let go of that paddle. But, but if you start worrying about it, I think if you start like just worrying about it too much and like thinking that it's harder and it's just going to affect your performance, you know, it's just putting yourself, your by yourself some blockades. So you just have to have a positive mindset and just, you know, go back to all the training you've done and all the good sessions you had. It's just do what you did that did then. Well, I love all the positivity coming. So out. I don't know if that answers a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate that, um, and I love all the positivity uh, that you're dropping on us today on the Padabu Podcast. Um, to wrap things up, anything you want to leave the audience with? Any final thoughts? Eh. Uh, well, I'm, I'm, I want to know how is the sport doing in Costa Rica. What's going on there? I know that Costa Rica came to Mexico. They've been representing their country for a few years now. It seems like Costa Rica was also, you know, has had so many breaks. Surfing is such a big industry that it just seems that the sport should be growing there. It and is growing. It is growing. This year, so I did the yeah. circuit last year. I'm doing it this year. Um, far more competitors this year and the level is starting to grow quickly. You can see between every event now that everybody's better and now everybody's really focused on training. Um, you've got Rolando, uh, you've got Alvaro Solano who's you know, a famous surfer from Costa Rica um, and now the Costa Rica surfing scene is amazing. You know, We won the international, the ISA uh, World Championships last year. We're hosting it this year. You've got Carlos Munoz, you got Neymar. So on the surfing side, Costa Rica is exploding right now, and stand-up is coming along with that. Not at the same pace as surfing, but it is coming along. Um, and what's the, what's the coolest thing to watch over these last few years of being involved in the scene uh, on a national level is the passion that anyone who is competing has. Uh, everybody is really fired up. Like the top ten or fifteen guys in Costa Rica, it's all they're doing. It's it, they're so fired up about it, and so that's a beautiful thing. And when you have that, the sport's going to grow. Um, so it's fun. It's a super. It's a super fun time to be here and be a part of it. Yeah, because that's the one thing that I haven't heard much about. You know what's going on with the local talent in Costa Rica. Like in the podcast, I you know, I. You know, I heard so many, you know, good names were out there. And, you know, from Kailani to uh, Kalama, everyone been there. And I was like, man, I, you know, I want to know, because I know those guys. But I was like, I was like really curious to see how, how the locals are doing. How's the, the, you know, the talents, what are the kids up to? Like, are they, you know, are they events going on there? Because I really want to go. It's like, uh, but yeah, no, the other thing is, you know, to see, you know, I want to give a shout out to all the Sayulita boys, all the Mexican crew, all the Latino America crew, 
you know, they're, you're starting to see now all these countries put so much effort and showing up to these international events. I think the ESA, it's what event that pushes, you know, a lot of these countries, like that's their one event that they go outside to do. Like I know, you know, Rolando and the Rolando being, you know, uh, working hard to represent Mexico. And, and all of the Latin American countries, their main event is the ISA International, and they're super proud to represent it. So I want to give a shout out to, you know, to all of them. They're putting so much effort, they're working hard, they're saving money to be able to, you know, to travel and go, f you know, super far to, to represent their country, but also the sport and to let the sport grow and, and continue pushing it and, you know, help new generations have have a life. I think you know, it's a new life opportunity. You know, there's there's just there, it's just for people to take it if they're hungry enough and if they want it and if they love the ocean. So, you know, look forward to see everyone at some point in some of the competitions, and you know, wish everyone the best and keep working hard, keep paddling hard, keep ripping those waves. It's the Paddle Woo Podcast.